Hello and welcome to Too Fast, Too Forever. There's all kinds of family, we chose this one. This is episode 268, The Chronicles of Riddick, and also The Chronicles of Riddick, colon, Dark Fury. I'm Joey Lewandowski. I'm Joe Two, and this episode is brought to you by Locked Up Trucking. Locked Up Diesel Repair LLC has expert mechanics that provide superior services to get your truck back on the road. Shout out to Locked Up Trucking and their diesel repair team. Well, shout out to Locked Up Trucking and welcome to Too Fast, Too Forever. We are joined once again by the man, the myth, the legend. This is probably something he has called himself ironically and unironically at the same time or different <laughs> times, who knows, in his, in his own life. Back from our Pitch Black episode, we have Nico Vasello. Hello, Nico. Hey, it's me. And, you know, I just want to point out the real testament is that I am not the only one who calls myself those things. You guys are kind enough to not just do it for me, but then commit it to air and publish it. So it... Uh, <laughs> It definitely justifies the 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 terms. So thank you. I'm really excited to be here. Chronicles when I was in college, what? I went to a uh, Goodwill near school, and we went to, uh, just looking for T-shirts, and there was one that said Rachel, the woman, the myth, the legend. Don't know if it was for like a bachelorette party. Don't know oh, what it was for, man. but I bought it. I know specifically now. This was before I knew you, Rachel. Yes. And I before you knew you, Rachel too. Probably. And I yeah. would just wear it around. And I remember one time we were either like on Fridays or an Applebee's, and the hostess was like what is that shirt? And I'm like, I don't know. I just found it at Goodwill. And she's like, my name is Rachel. Can I get a picture? I was like, yeah, sure. And so we took a picture and I never saw that Rachel again, but it was, I, I don't think I have that shirt anymore. And it's my greatest regret because it is truly special. I was hoping you were going to say she was like, I was at that bachelorette party. I'm Rachel. Yeah. I am Rachel. I am Rachel. Well, Speaking of I Am Rachel, we got Jack, a.k.a. Jackie, a.k.a. Kira. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, do you want to talk about something that's not these movies yet? No, I just need to say, uh, yes, I need to say that I think you guys are dreaming a little small. You're like, maybe she's Rachel. I'm like, no, no, no. She's actually Rachel's love child, and she sees the shirt from when she was named after her mother, Rachel Sr. She's Rachel Jr., you guys. (laughs) She's Rachel the next generation. 2.0, this is, Rachel 2.0. Yeah, and now she has to get her uh, racer mother out of retirement, and this is the female Fast and Furious film franchise. Origin spinoff, yeah. It's racing Rachel. She's Rach. Oh. Speaking Race of Rach. you and the Fast and the Furious, I feel like in the last six months, I used the phrase on the show one time, like the heart of the race, and I don't remember why. Multiple or times. Maybe it was You've on... used it a couple times. Yeah, so yeah. like, it, yeah. it's just, you know, it's it seeped in, so... I haven't done the, uh, the 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 Dom voice yet. Well, I'm never, never gonna do that. But the 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 shift of destiny or whatever, like the other things, did not seek into seep into my brain the way that clutch part of, the of race destiny. The clutch but of destiny, I appreciate it. it. Yeah. Um. You know, real quick, guys. Did did Vin Diesel ever do an album? No, he put out two singles. I don't know if his album or Addison Rae's album is gonna come out first. It's a real he- dead heat between never coming out. Can we do his singles? That would make, that would just, that would, the piece de resistance, or as he would call it. The one is actually pretty decent. I kind of like it. Maybe we'll get Dr. Chris podcast and you together will revive now and again to talk about Vin's two songs. Wow. That's a way to threaten me with a really positive time. I don't know if that's serious or sarcastic. It could go either way. I can only imagine how positive he's going to be on Vin Diesel's music career. It's bad. bad. Uh, I will say, if people are fans of Dr. Chris' podcast, uh, stay tuned this month. He might show up in an episode. 
some babies. So we're here to talk today about the Chronicles of Riddick, which is available on Peacock. There is a director's cut. Nico, did you watch the theatrical or the extended director's cut? How long is the theatrical? It's two hours versus like two fifteen. I watched the theatrical. Okay, so yes. did Joe and I. Yep, I don't know. Peacock. I don't know where to get the other one. Maybe buy it on the Blu-ray or something. The weird part is, like I said, watch Dark Fury first. I saw these years ago, and Dark Fury is this like interstitial that links Pitch Black to Riddick. Makes the, sense, yeah. The thing that doesn't make sense is that Dark Fury came out on DVD a week after Riddick hit theaters. So unlike the Fast and the Furious and Too Fast, Too Furious, and re-releasing the first movie with a turbocharged prelude in the weeks leading up to Too Fast, they were like, hey, oops, uh, you have no idea how we got there. Here's a story. And so it came out after Riddick came out. So I guess you can watch these in either order because they didn't care enough, but... You know, if you're watching them chronologically, watch Dark Fury first, wherein a man battles soldiers and vicious creatures. That's the entire IMDb logline, and sure, that sounds about right. I'm glad that I watched it first. It actually helped contextualize going into the movie, so uh, if I can make a suggestion, I would say, if you have the option, watch it first. I watched it first. I don't really know that it was a movie. Yeah, it's not necessary. It was a really cool interstitched group of scenes. I really liked the way this told me a lot about the characters without ever really defining them with personalities. I don't even mean that as mean as it sounds. I mean it like this was a 35-minute really cool trailer. Mm-hmm. It didn't really bring the film anywhere. It didn't establish anything for the characters. I don't know that you know you need to tell me that Vin Diesel's character of Riddick is a badass. I don't know that that's like a necessary thing thing to establish. That is the only thing we know about him is that he is tough. I have a question that, and because you said that like it doesn't like really define anything in dark fury though, Dom, uh, sorry, Vin Diesel's character (laughs) Riddick Mm -hmm. um, says like, yeah, I'm a bounty hunter. Did we know that? Because it doesn't feel like I remember that from the last film. Like, I, it makes sense, but he doesn't overtly say it or know that he's just a criminal in the last one and a criminal in this one. So, like, the in-between bounty hunter thing, I'm like, I guess that makes sense, but, like, it also felt re- weird. I think like, we I, knew that, but also, when we'll talk about the Chronicles of Rick, the full movie, they completely retcon his history and give him, the, like, a, a race of people that, like, we did not know about that is, like, the core thing the second movie hinges on, so maybe, maybe not, I don't know, but these are the movies that are just like, this is what it is now, he's a bounty hunter, it's like, okay, okay. But he's only a bounty hunter in between, like, he's not a, because he's a criminal and then a criminal on the run again, both on both movies, kind of, but, like... I hear what you're you're saying, and, like, I understand why you're trying to be like, no, he's not really a bounty hunter, because we never really see him be it. But I think the issue is more that these two films are not connected ideas for characters. Are you talking about Pitch Black and Riddick, or Dark Fury and Riddick? Well, I don't think you can really remove Dark Fury from... Chronicles of Riddick. Okay, okay. They are clearly two identities that exist in a similar mode. It's kind of like the EP that precedes the album that has like the slightly better version of one of the tracks or whatever. Okay, it's yeah. a lot it's a lot like when there's like a mini series that precedes a comic run that if you're ever going to talk about that comic run, 
you need to include that miniseries because it introduces the characters or whatever. You know, like there's reasons. Um, I don't know that Chronicles of Riddick stands on its own as a film. And if it does, I definitely don't, you know, without the help of Dark Fury filling in a bunch of the gaps, I don't know that it really has an identity of its own. You know, it reminded me a lot of like the attempts at anime crossover that mass markets were doing where every time I went to Walmart at 1135, not Hyatt all looking for a <laughs> dvd to watch for the next couple of days you know on a loop uh because it was eleven thirty-five, and i was shopping at walmart and i would see like oh look there's a new hellboy dvd oh it's animated oh look there's a new chronicles of riddick animated dvd it just always seemed like there was some project that was trying to tell me that it's so cool to integrate these two things together and i do think it's cool and i do love that integration but i question if that integration wasn't done at the expense of one of those two projects mm. i'm really glad that this was a lot of fun but i would have enjoyed something of substance a little bit more also listen I'm not coming for anyone. We've all had, you know, jobs. And when you're as cool as Tress McNeil, there is so little to be said other than you're the queen of voice work. I thought this was going to be a race between you and me to mention her name, and I thought you would win, and I'm glad that you did. I would be really glad to give you that honorific, sir, um, because I love Tress McNeil as a voice actress in general. I think she is spectacular. Uh, the difficulty here, she's every old woman in yep. every episode of every Matt Groening show. Mm -hmm. So oh, hearing her here okay. be evil, bad, evil lady, I just kept being like, she's going to hit Homer so hard. <laughs> oh, oh, Riddick. She's going to hit Riddick. I would have loved it if Riddick gave us a good dough. I think this whole thing could have been or should have been cooler than it wound up being. I got the sense that there was not a lot of budget for this. I was glad that she was here. I liked the work that she brought to it. I'm glad that they brought Keith David back. I'm glad that they brought Rihanna Griffith back, who played Jack in the first movie. Like, I like the parts that are here. I like that Peter, like, this gave me very big, but I think ultimately, this is both a, a positive and a negative. This gave me kind of Animatrix vibes. And it was yeah. directed by That's yeah, Peter. That's my note. Peter Chung, who did Matriculated, which is one of those eight or nine short films. So, like, the one that kind of looks like this, I think, one of the ones that look like this. Okay, like, this is a cool thing, and I feel like if I was super, super into the Pitch Black Riddick world, and this was, like, my bread and butter, like, if I felt about these the way that I do about the Fast and Furious or whatever, like, if we were, like, really dissecting these, I would dive deep in this and probably love this to pieces. But as someone who's just kind of looking for something either a Vin performance or whatever, it just kind of feels lacking. And I do like the Tress McNeil of it because I feel like that's the kind of thing that we have not seen really in the first movie or in the second movie. And it's like this sort of shining beacon of like something a little bit different and a little bit cool and a little bit elevated by one of the best in the biz. And I really do love that you brought up Animatrix because I've always felt like Animatrix was one of the projects that did this kind of thing right, did this kind of thing well, justified its existence mm -hmm. as a project mm -hmm. the difficulty for me 
as somebody who appreciates, you know, comics and, you know, to an extent, the argument I made about EPs and like, I love building super holistic looks at a body of work. And if you need the other projects to continue the justified existence of the one we get into like a, a sort of difficult to look at place. And when you're talking about metafiction, right? What are you willing to do? How far will you go to get the complete story? If you watch movies, will you watch an animated movie? Mm. Okay. Will you yeah. read a comic? Okay. What else will you do to explain? Explore the the sort of fullness of that world. If it's a world where that is the necessary element of its success, like the Dark Tower, okay, you know you're in for it. I, on partner show on this amazing network, which, by the way, I just like, I feel like a Vin Diesel sometimes. In okay. that Only sometimes? I walked onto this show one time or into this network and I was like, Hey guys, I'm here to mumble. And Joey was like, terrific. I'll, I'll let's make the movie all about you. And I was like, <laughs> cool. I don't know if that's what I said. That might be what you heard, but let's go. Let's keep going. <laughs> well, it's how it happened. You know uh-huh. what I mean? And you've given me room to do over like 600 episodes on this network in three years, four years. And I'm uh, very grateful and it's very cool. And the crazy places that we've been going with some of our projects have been really interesting. And one of the things we did recently was over the summer, we started a deep dive into a complete universe. The MC2 line was this like very focused era of like parallel comics that were self-contained. And it starts Spider-Girl, the daughter of Spider-Man. And when it ended, it ended. And then her world and her father, Spider-Man, became the basis for the actual comics version of Spider-Verse. So we are in the process of doing literally every page of Spider-Verse. We have covered every Spider-Child there has ever been. And in exploring all of these things, one of the things that's really stood out to me is the sort of trepidation that even companies that exist and thrive on corporate synergy as a functional way to make the medium work, that fear that they experience is nearly palpable. Uh, Marvel did a very successful Spider-Man video game, and that Spider-Man shows up in a Spider-Verse event. There's Spider-Verse, then there's Spider-Geddon, then there's... more Spider-Verse, which... And then there's Edge of Spider-Verse, which is... okay, And then there's End of Spider-Verse, and it's about wasps. I don't want to talk about this right now. I'm still really dealing with a lot of feelings. Anyway, as of today, almost like our coverage... Uh, so, rewind. One time, the greatest comic book writer of all time, Grant Morrison was trying to get more people to buy the invisibles uh grant morrison's like one of their top five works of all time and grant morrison was like if everybody masturbates at the same time everywhere and you know adjusts for time zone 
if we have one big group splooge, the resultant magical wave will save the invisibles. And whether it was that or everybody talking about it that saved the invisibles, it worked. And the invisibles Mm. would go on to be very, very successful and kind of the basis for the matrix in a lot of ways. But the reason I bring this up is several months later, the main character of the Invisibles, King Mob, was given a flesh-eating bacteria that ate through his face. And shortly thereafter, the same real-to-life fucking thing happened to Grant Morrison. Ooh, wow. What? Ooh. And so sometimes I feel a little bit like the bacteria that ate Grant Morrison's face because after months of being the only people to talk about Spider-Girl on the internet, she came back into publication today. Today, after no new stories centered on Mayday Parker since, like, literally 2015. Joe, how many times have we done an episode on a movie that is, like, out of circulation or, like, doesn't, that no one's talking about, and then within a week they're like, well, just greenlit for a sequel. It's like, wait, what? Or, like, like, it appears on, like, TNT the next day, and it's, like, a really, like, weird movie that you're like, nobody saw this. I feel like when I saw that the uh, Spider-Man from that video game was guest starring in Spider-Geddon, I was like, okay, now who is this for? Like, actually, what's the direction of the traction? Do they think this is going to entice readers of Spider-Man or Spider-Geddon or whatever book to buy this video game or... Do they think this is going to entice people who enjoy this video game to buy this comic book? The direction of traction on a project like like Dark Fury is something that I think is really important to consider because you need to think about, number one, audience, number two, purpose, and number three, the, the sort of cost and uh, benefit ratio that the studio is going to use to allow what is clearly a very personal project to Vin Diesel, right? And you can see that Vin Diesel really connects with this idea of the stoic, like Hemingway-ish man, the indestructible, very, you know, from the war. And even if his character's kind of sexual, his characters don't seem to fuck, which is like in yeah. Riddick in particular, you know, Dom fucks and, you know, he should. That He used to. I don't know if he does head. anymore. Yeah, and that's even kind of like the thing, you know, a Hemingway character uh, becomes impotent because of war. And, you know, over the course of the Fast and Furious, I think Dom thought, you know, that's another thing. Dom is like, you know, I know street violence and I've been through stuff. And then, like, by the seventh movie, he's like, I'm in outer space, you guys. I need to go do some stuff. BRB, rocket car. And it's the same thing for Riddick. In this first movie, it's like, I'm a wise ass and I kick stuff. And then in this movie, it's like fate of the galaxy. I'm Peter Quill, bitches. There, there's a note about the the the, the Riddick movie, the Chronicles of Riddick movie, not Dark Fury specifically, but the Chronicles of Riddick. That Vin Diesel says it's his most romantic movie. I don't know when he said this. I don't know who he said this to or to whom he said this, but. He calls it his most romantic movie. So there is something about the sexuality or the love or the tenderness. I don't know how he says that 
after, because this movie comes out after the first Fast and the Furious. This is when he's making or he's thinking about making Los Bondoleros. Like, I don't understand how it's his most romantic film, but there is something tied up or connected or whatever between him and his animal magnetism and his sexuality and love that he sees too. So I don't know if I agree with it. I don't know that I fully followed your metaphor. I appreciate it. I don't know if I fully followed it, but like there is something to that, I think. Thank you. I appreciate it. So now, Joe, your your main issue with Pitch Black was that you felt like you didn't know this character. You wanted more backstory, whatever. With that in mind, did this help you at all like the first one more retroactively or not? And did you like this just sort of for what it was or no? It felt a little chaotic to me again. Um, so I was like, oh, I don't know how I feel about this. Like, it, it wasn't bad. I liked that they, you got to play more. Like, we talked about this with Keba when we were doing spy racers that like if you have the medium of animation you know push the boundaries some and i did like that they did stuff like that like i felt like it was less you know grounded realistic you get like the what the cartoon characters climbing on the ceiling whatever whatever i was like oh this is fun they're they're leaning into it which i like i do think on the flip side though that it it made me like chronicles of riddick a lot more Okay. So maybe not retroactively liking Pitch Black more, but it definitely set me up to really enjoy Chronicles of Riddick. And Nico, same question to you. Did you like Pitch Black any more knowing this stuff? Because this kind of does, like, I think a lot of the goal of both of these is, like, you don't need to have seen that first movie. It's just, like, this is a character that we figured out as we made that movie. Here's his new adventure. But what did you think of the of Dark Fury specifically on its own and in relation to the first movie? I... I'm really grateful that you brought up specifically Spy Racers because in my notes I have that the main character of the Riddick Spy Racers spinoff should be specifically Andy Riddick and he's part of Furious Speeders and he works for Furious and it Which is, is an acronym a- for something, right? And it changes all the time, and they never finish it. Force United registered in our... You know the rest. So the other thing about Spy Racers, as it kind of relates to this, is it tells you a lot about the market they're courting. And this is why I brought up audience and then completely distracted from my own point by being my very own point-eating bacteria. But (laughs) the thing that Spy Racers tells me is... They know Fast and Furious is gay. They know it is ruined. You don't go to Fast and Furious anymore because it is the cutting edge, coolest fucking action movie you've ever seen. It is essentially the action movie equivalent of going to see. Oh, you love this. A Christopher Nolan movie. It is, you know, that's not why you go to Fast and Furious. You go to Fast and Furious because it's basically watching the butter from your popcorn on the screen. Mm. And that's fine. That's awesome. Not everything can be the most, like, high cerebral art. Some stuff can be the staples that make cinema. Fast and Furious knows that because of that, it's lost street credibility with just about any audience that isn't, like, us the yeah or like the average movie goer or like you know what i do think there is something to like you know 
a lot of this stuff we've been dissecting on X has been getting a little bit more deep and intricate. Like there was this series in the 90s, Slingers, that did four different number ones from the four different perspectives of the four main characters. Mm. And it had four covers. But if you don't literally look inside, you just assume it's a variant cover. And then it's literally a different interior. What the fuck? So we've been looking at like some weird stuff. That's bizarre, but it's got like an audience. People want it. People downloaded it. That's for sure. So like, you know, like it's got an audience. And I think what I'm trying to say is they so badly don't want you to associate Riddick with Fast and Furious. They work so hard with Dark Fury to make it clear by comparison to Spy Racers to say... These are two different products. If you're here for this action franchise, Dark Fury says, you better be a fucking adult. You know, I'm really kind of curious how this holds up. And I know that you're making a Spyrus connection, but like to Riddick from 2013, because we're so early in the Fast and Furious yeah. of it all that I think it's hard to compare. Like, I, th- I get what you're saying and I agree but we are only equivalent to the too fast, too furious of it all. So, like, the Fast and Furious is not what we what we know it to be, what we have talked about, what we have analyzed and overanalyzed endlessly. It is just a two movie thing with a six minute interstitial that nobody cares about. It's not by the 2013, you know, six movies on the verge of you know multi billion dollar box office returns, True. a different thing altogether. So, I'm curious to see if that holds up because I do agree with you. But I wonder, and I don't remember from having seen it, I think, in theaters, if Riddick 2013 is basically like a triple X, like, hey, you know, you love him as Dom. Like, let's just do another one where he's in outer space or something. That's so key because we've been doing a lot of, you know, historiographies, as we've been calling them. And, like, I love the contextualization of where this goes in Fast and Furious canon. A legend isn't a legend until it ends. Mm-hmm. So any amazing story that doesn't burn out tragically is going to get that yikes moment. I just like, I want to take you guys back in time. It's the summer of, and Heath Ledger has just tragically passed away. And Dark Knight is all anyone can talk about. Yeah. And now I want you guys to fast forward to everybody doing shit about Anne Hathaway going meow. Like, you know, when you think about the trajectory that something goes on, you, you can't know exactly. And while, yes, Fast and Furious 2, can we do this without Vin Diesel? No, we cannot, was a not huge endorsement of the franchise. But it definitely was like a little bit more like, yeah, I like Hot Wheels and I drink Bang. Yeah, kind of vibe than like, Let's make an animated series that our kids can enjoy. Oh, yeah. Can I? Oh, just a blue moon, actually. The hard stuff gives me heartburn. You know what I mean? It kind of transitioned to a minivan life. Dark Fury just really tells me that they were courting a demographic. They really wanted a specific audience to think Chronicles of Riddick was cool. They were hoping it was a target audience that enjoyed Adult Swim. They were hoping that it was a target audience that had open-minded understandings about uh, synergistic projects and Mm -hmm. a willingness to buy into a corporate synergy as to a character. They wanted to make Riddick 
what Iron Man was able to do or what an Indiana Jones classically did or what a Jack Sparrow did. Because even if Pirates of the Caribbean is, you know, a ride that goes back 50 years at this point, Jack Sparrow was created for the film. They were really hoping for, a, you know, an Austin Powers. And instead, what they got was a lot of really interesting shots that looked like they could have been from Battlefield Earth or an Alien movie. We're talking about the the Chronicles of Riddick, not Dark Fury now, right? Oh, I'm talking about the generality of the franchise, I feel. I think this was okay. directed beautifully to look like the film. That's, like, hard to miss for me. Like, And I don't think any of this is bad. I just think it really says, like, they wanted an audience. It's hard to miss how badly they wanted this particular film, Dark Fury, and its stylistic choices, its hardness, its edge, the idea that this character just doesn't give a fuck in a very HBO kind of way meant for your Disney world. <laughs> and I'm really interested that they weren't able to make this guy 7-Eleven Cup work. You know what I mean? I was just underwhelmed by it. I think I, I my, my fear with this franchise was that I remember liking, thinking I was going to like Pitch Black more than either of these, and I think that's true. Like, I think that Pitch Black is not a perfect movie. We talked about that. I liked it much more, or at least more than both of you. But both of these just kind of did stuff to this franchise that, like, or this world that, like, blew it out in ways that, like, were interesting but kind of lost the grittiness like this they both amped it up into things that were like not what I found most compelling about the first movie and so I don't think you overthought or I underthought or anything about Dark Fury it just kind of wasn't I guess that it's I guess it's maybe closer it's probably closer to Pitch Black than the Chronicles of Riddick is it is closer to Pitch Black I do agree with you like as we transition I think that it becomes more fantasy than it was like sci-fi in Pitch Black and in Dark Fury. And as we move that way, for me, it personally becomes more enjoyable. So did you like, did you, it was your favorite of the three, The Chronicles of Riddick? Yes. Mika, what about you? Do you have a favorite of the three? Pitch Black. Really? Okay. But like, okay, but here's the thing. I recognize Riddick and Dark Fury to be good at what they are that are not things meant for me, right? And, like, that's really important. I just don't understand how people can't, like, separate themselves from the art. I can say pretty comfortably a movie about, like, a crazy macho hero where they take a implicitly queer gender non-conforming character and yep. sex her up so hard they femme her real hard and recast her oh and recast her i really wanted to hear how you feel about this because it was because it felt really weird to me yeah no it was a big giant ball of repugnant it was terrible and i have some backstory on like how that happened not like the why but how but keep going but, like, that's one of the things, though. We got awesome Jack in Dark Fury. So I'm really glad this has been such, like, a meandering conversation. And thank you guys for, like, giving me the room to just sort of, like, stretch my legs. I'm in the home stretch of a really intense work cycle 
that literally ends tomorrow and I'm going on vacation and I'm like going away and I don't properly, properly go back to like regular work to like the end of January. I'm on like a long term work from home project. (laughs) So like I am unpacking horribly in this moment. (laughs) But to that extent, right, I think that Jack was used really well here. I love Keith David, but I can't not look at my screen, hear Keith David, and not expect one of two things. Number one, him to then say, Angela, to the clock tower, we are gargoyles. Right? (laughs) Or I expect him to be like, you know, Winger, you're an idiot. Like, those are the only two modes I have for him. It's community and gargoyles. I still think of him as the president of the United States in the Saints Row video game series. Like, that's my that's his Ooh. finest accomplishment to me. Where I, mean, I don't think President Keith David. There is literally not a like Keith David is one of those voice actors who, like, I think we just like, you know, the, the late great Kevin Conroy, what a loss. Like, there are just some voices that define how we interact yeah. with the expectation of a performance. Tress and McNeil mentioned earlier. Tress McNeil, who really gives everything. She gives everything to make me accept this, like Almost Christine Ebersol. Look Christine Ebersol up if you don't know her. Oh, I know her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's, you know, Tress McNeil works so hard to give me raw that here. But my issue does sometimes become that Matt Groening has been like, can you play an emphysematic toad woman so many times? Right. But if I close my eyes, I basically expect Tress McNeil to sound like a weird cross between Ma Gorg and uh, Mrs. Bighead from Rocco's Modern Life. So some quick backstory on the Chronicles of Riddick, which again is on Peacock, the theatrical cut at least. The wanted criminal Richard Bruno Riddick, Vin Diesel, arrives on a planet called Helion Prime and finds himself up against an invading empire called the Necromongers an army that plans to convert or kill all humans in the universe. So Pitch Black had a budget of $23 million, made 53 so, you know, made a decent amount of money, not a ton of money, but enough to warrant a sequel. This movie, The Chronicles of Reddick, had a $105 million budget wow. and wound up making one fifteen. So probably, Ugh. almost certainly lost a lot of money to Universal, which is probably why it took nine years to make another one. I don't remember what the box office for that one is. We'll get to that in three weeks. Real quick, can you just can you say the numbers on Pitch Black again? I was at three budget, twenty three made fifty three. Okay, Pitch Black. I don't know even on those numbers. Great numbers. Nobody can argue those numbers. But lots of movies make those numbers and don't get sequels. I don't know that Pitch Black warranted a sequel. Vin Diesel warranted a sequel sure yes this movie is just a bunch of vin diesel saying i can kill you with my teacup and i just want to be like that's not the line you think it is when he said it was like it's been a long time since i smelled beautiful kevo and i at the same time both go yes i always think you smell beautiful (laughs) like because the line is so unclear this was just clearly meant to be a bunch of welcome to earth moments Mm -hmm. for vin diesel to sell big gulps and while i would love to big gulp the enormity of vin diesel down in this film they're just the idea that this was meant to be the character this is the guy 
Who is he, though? Vin Diesel is awesome, but who is Riddick? I don't know, and I think they don't know either, because they retconned him. We'll get into that in a second. Just some other quick, very quick backstory. So considered for director a who's who of some of the biggest names in sci-fi, Guillermo del Toro, David Cronenberg, Alex Proyas, John Landis, and Peter Jackson, ultimately was written again and directed again by David Tuohy, shot by this guy Hugh Johnson. He did not shoot the first movie, but he did Aragon and G.I. Jane. So all these people who, like, could have had these, like, grandiose ideas and went to the guy who made Pitch Black, which is fine, cool. I'm sure Vin had a say in that. And the only other background is that this is the only film in the franchise to be given a PG-13 rating. Everything else is R. And I think the unrated version, the longer version, has more violence and more language and stuff like that. And so, but it's, it's it feels a little bit like a black sheep, but it feels like, like, I would love to see what, like, an Alex Proyas would do in the world of Riddick or... Not the other guys as much. Like, I don't really care. Like, I don't think Guillermo del Toro or Cronenberg or Peter Jackson would ever really want to do this movie. But I think an Alex Proyas baby could. But I don't know. I mean, David, too, he does, like, this is his thing. Like, he did, he does the next one, too. So, I don't know. It's just, this is a, a Tuohy Diesel special. I do think that, for whatever reason, he makes these decisions. He as in Vin or he as in Tuohy? Guillermo del Toro would make this movie. In a very Blade 2 kind of way. If he did, ver- I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Because I'd love to get my hands on the script. You know what I mean? I would love to find how many replace, you know, wizard with, for, you know, mage, the, the D&D lost thing that happened where when D&D changed mage to wizard, they did a find replace and it turned damage to the wizard over and over again. That's pretty good. Because they replaced mage with wizard. And I think in lost originally Boone's name was going to be five because he was the fifth and they did a replace on five. And so a countdown became like one, two, three, four Boone. Love that too. I feel like that is a major thing that this script dealt with. Because I don't think this was actually a Riddick film. Well, I don't think that this was like a film. I think this was just like sci-fi set pieces sort of strung together. And like, let's have Tandy Way Newton and let's have Carl Urban and let's have Dame Judi Dench here. And none of it really makes sense. Like, Joe, what did you like more about this? Like, I'm not trying to like, as I'm like, I didn't like this at all. But like, what what did you what did you appreciate more about this than you did about Pitch Black? I liked a robustness of characters. I like the just costu- more characters. You mean more characters? I like the costuming of it. I like that it simultaneously felt kind of like Star Warsy and Game of Thronesy and and Lord of the Ringsy and like all of these type of things. Like it, it felt more fantastical. It felt more grand in its own way. Like there's like different races of people and a council and like the evil villains are like also half zombie ghosts. It was more encapsulating for me. Like, I get what Pitch Black is doing, and like I described it before, like, it just, it's fantastical in its own way. Like, it feels more of these kind of, like, epic journey-type situations where, like, Pitch Black has, like, a very precise thing that it's starting out to do. It's tight. There's not very many characters. There's not a lot of backstory. It's way grittier. Like... 
we talked about when we talked about triple X that like we we were like oh like triple uh, X and crank like you know like some of them take themselves more seriously than others I think that Chronicles of Riddick takes itself a lot less seriously than Pitch Black does and like and that f- that playfulness also makes it more enjoyable for me. I would agree. I think it takes itself less seriously. I just think it becomes like I think that what we all kind of agreed on, even me who liked the first one more, is that it kind of felt like a sci-fi, just like a not run of the mill in a bad way, but like a I've kind of seen this before type of movie that you might find on sci-fi. Yes. And this felt the same way to me, but for like worse reasons, where it was just like, oh, I get this color palette. I get these kind of like weird effects. Like, I don't know where the $105 million budget went because like Agreed. it That's somehow fair. looks both nicer and cheaper in a way that like almost having too much money kind of gives you more, more as the song goes, mo money, mo problems, right? Like, it's just like, I don't know where the money went. And I don't think you made a movie that was that warranted $80 million more into into the cost and exactly what you're saying i don't think that it's better like i would never make the argument that like chronicles of riddick is better just that like i personally found it more enjoyable i do think that without remembering i think there is a better chance that all three of us at least you and me i don't know about nico but i think at least you and me will like the third one most because it's more modern because there's so much time in between and i feel like because they they better understood how to make another sequel i don't remember anything about it which is not really a good thing but i have i have higher hopes for the for the, for the third one we'll be doing in three weeks any thoughts on dame judy dench as arion i think vin has a thing for older women and i don't know if it's like a sexual attraction i don't know if it's just like a, a respect thing. it doesn't seem that it's yeah it seems like he has like respect for like for like um aged i think maybe he grew actresses. up watching these women in movies with his mom or something because we know how yeah. he sort of pursued Helen Mirren. We know yep. he's pursued Rita Marino for Fast 10. Yep. Here, he so desperately wanted her for this movie that he filled her dressing room on some other movie with bouquets of flowers and told her they couldn't begin casting the other parts until she said yes. And then she would later say that she loved making the movie even though she never understood what was going on, but she had a great time. <laughs> so, like, I think Vin's just like, I love these older women which is a very cool thing. It's it's a thing that most people sort of don't do, but he has seen, it seems single-handedly gone out and gotten Dame Judi Dench for this movie, Dame Helen Mirren for Fate, and then Rita Marina for 10. Like, it just feels like he's going and getting these older women to be like, hey, be in my action thing. They're like, all right, sure. Yeah, like, if you want me, I'll do it. Nico, thoughts on Dame Judi Dench or, or Vin's attraction to older women? As a, a pansexual man whose interest does lean to the mature ladies, I think uh, great taste, Ben. Nice stuff. <laughs> but the other side of that, there is a certain amount of almost eye roll cash to the check it out. I cast the old lady. And I just kind of want to be yeah. like, yeah, okay, but she's still a human. Yep. It's fair. not like, look at this finely aged meat we're all going to eat. Like, ugh. and it's not my thing in terms of like, you know, the, the sort of cultural f- like fetishism of it. It did add a certain gravitas while, okay, hear me out. I understand that you're saying she was like, oh, I had a wonderful time. But like, I also can't help but notice how many of her scenes she looked kind of superimposed onto the set. So I wonder how many days of filming 
was Dame Judi Dench in front of a green screen going, ah, this is a lovely cloak. You know what I mean? And that was her entire contribution to the film. Probably most of it. Probably most of her time was just like, I don't know what's going on. Just put me in whatever and just, you. Want, I'm a ghost. I'm a spirit. I can sort of vanish. What do you want me to? I don't know. Actually, don't tell I me. Hover. I don't need to know. I hover. I don't fly. I hover. This movie also has Tandy Way Newton from most recently, I guess, Westworld, Carl Urban. They're both cool. Um, any thoughts on either of those two new? Because I think the other thing is I think none of these people come back for the new one. I was so, so confused where I recognized um, the woman from Westworld from. I was so confused. Like, I kept seeing her face being like, I know I know her from somewhere. Where is it? And then Rachel said, like, oh, are you talking about the woman from Westworld? I was like, oh, God, that's where it's from. Yes, exactly. I like her character in Westworld. I liked her character here. All thumbs. All thumbs up. I I do want to know, though, Nico, about, I think we started talking about it before, but recasting. So, okay. So here's the backstory on the Jack, who is now Kira, who is a femme, competent but kind of generic action badass. So they modeled her partly after Amy Lee of Evanescence, which is, okay, that's a choice, sure. Cool, okay. So they they let Rihanna Griffith, who played Jack in Pitch Black, audition for this part. They're just like, hey, you know the character you played? We're bringing her back, or bringing them back. We'll just say, we're bringing them back, but... Uh, you have to audition for it. It's just like, okay. And it doesn't feel good to start off on that foot, right? Vin Diesel's like, hey, I'm in your corner, but you got to toughen up is the words. Toughen up. So she got toughen a trainer up. and she learned kickboxing, but she only had three weeks to prepare. And then I guess did the audition and got out auditioned by Alexa Davalos, who then was cast as Kira. So it's weird that they didn't just give the part to the actress from the first movie. It's weird that they, like, femmed her up and made her, like, a, a different thing altogether, because she was, they were mini Vin Diesel in the first movie. I didn't get it. Like, I, 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 com- I was completely lost by this choice. Like, it just doesn't make any sense to me. Like, why, like, I was like, why did you do that? Because also, we, the Jack in Dark Fury is Jack from the first one. So we, like, have now established that there's, like, yeah, we had Jack. Jack continues on through the animated part, looking the same, uh, same like character traits mm-hmm. that we would imagine that, that Jack would still have. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, like completely different world. All of a sudden they get separated. They lose touch. Jack becomes Kira, fems up, grows up, looks different, and that's the reconcile. It's just, it's a very weird, unfortunate, made worse to that point, Joe, by Dark Fury having a Rihanna Griffith yes. as Jack. It's it's crazy. But Nico, please, soapbox or not, whatever you want to say, please hit us with your thoughts, because this is the weirdest, I think, especially in retrospect, worst taste thing about this movie. It would have been less ugly if they just killed her and made her a different woman. Yeah. It just would yeah. have been less ugly. No one else can t- carries over from the first movie. Just make it a new character. Yeah, this is specifically... Well, I mean, Keith David does, and then he dies. Mm. Uh this is specifically, you know, non-fem erasure. It's troubling and problematic. I don't think it was even meant that way, but it's definitely a bummer. Alexa Davalos is also uh, from Angel. She did a bunch of episodes of Angel. She uh, has electric powers. Her name is Gwen. I don't know. I just generally thought that it was an ugly move. I thought that it was unbecoming and means to me that they really weren't thinking critically 
about the film. They were thinking critically about Vin. And that's fine. They wanted Vin to look great here. But it means that nothing else has any depth. Vin looks great. Nothing else. Yeah. And he does. They they nailed that. But to what end? Or at what cost? The cost was, you know, eliminating Jack, who is the focus point of the animated special. Mm-hmm. Like, Yes. Yeah. It just makes it feel like, did you change this in, like, like late into production? I don't know. I ultimately think the the non-femerasure is a huge misstep for the film that only gets worse the more you look at it. I'm troubled by the idea that there's almost nobody in this film except Riddick. And so it ultimately doesn't feel like a chronicle of Riddick, but rather like a long extended trailer that's one of the things that didn't work for me about this movie the sequences all just seemed to be strung together not designed to work together and so it never painted a picture of this character for me the the strange thing about this not only the erasure of the character but they they retcon which is very in vin diesel in franchise in everything that he's been a part of, they rewrite the history of the character that he is now a Furian. And the Furians have been foretold to one day erase or undermine or kill or eradicate or whatever the necromongers. And this guy has seen this vision and he wants to kill all the Furians. But like Vin Diesel in the first movie was not a Furian, I don't think. Now he's a Furian. And not only is he a Furian, but he that is the most important thing about him because he is going to fulfill this destiny of this other race of people that we also didn't know about. And it's like, okay. So I watched the movie and kind of understood it. I read the wiki, kind of understood it. And then I'm just like, I don't know how any of this happens. I don't know how he becomes, like, leader. Like, I don't know how he ascends to the throne at the end. Like, that didn't really make sense. to Like, he kill, Like it's like he just killed he the guy the in charge. Other... Yeah, and it was, you know, you keep what you kill, so you get, like, all of their powers and sure. okay. things. But Which, I mean, is kind of, you know, the lamest way to do that. Fair. I understand your gripes about it. That's but okay. it's just, but I think to like to Nico's point, it's just like, okay, so like, I understand that there's like this, this battle between these two races that we didn't know about previously. And there's a prison break and there's all this different stuff. And there's like a, a planet that's 700 degrees or negative 300 degrees, which I think is pretty funny. I was thinking of you, Joe, that like they're in outer space and they're still using like Fahrenheit. Maybe I don't yes. know. Yes. <laughs> No, you're not. You're, you're using Celsius or Kelvin. You're not using the one dumb thing that I, that I prefer, but still no one else uses in science. Exactly. But it's just, it's strange. Like, it's, it's a sequence of, like, action set pieces that if I enjoyed more, I would be willing to give more credit to or sort of, like, more of the benefit of the doubt, but I didn't love. And so I'm just like, okay. It's why I think that this was an unrelated script. Probably. And that, like, I wonder if, like, you know... Jeremiah Young Gay. Hi, Vin. We've got this really great treatment where you're an action hero and you're called the Furian and it's set in space and Carl Urban is going to be from a space opera and he looks really gay. Uh, Do you want to do it? And I feel like Vin was just like, make it Riddick and I'll do it. That's probably fair. Yeah. Because it's so unrelated. And it feels like all of this stuff we didn't know. Oh, the whole plot. Yeah. 
I do think, though, I don't think that's what happened. Because I think, from what I understand, from the IMDb trivia, the wiki, David too, he wrote these, and then he and Vinna went out and pitched these. So it's like, these are the these are the stories we're telling. This is what we want to do. Here's the, here's our ideas. A compromise, a compromise to Nico's thoughts, though, this could also be like, they started out making one movie, and then they're like, okay, cool. But like, what if also he was like this thing, and then they just like way too much expanded on it, and it became something different, and they're like, ah, but this was Riddick too, and they was like, took it off the deep end, and then they're like, okay, well, it could still be Riddick too, I guess. And it's like, no, you just wrote a completely different movie and now just said it was a Riddick movie. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. Um, Nico, one thing that we did not do, I don't think, in the first one that we've been doing in the the main Fast and Furious episodes, and if you don't have an answer yet, just think on it, mull it over. If you don't have an answer at all, that's fine, too. But one thing we've been going through this entire lap is our conversation starter in the Fast and Furious episodes has been, what is the most Dom moment in the movie? Like, what action, either portrayed by Vin Diesel or anyone else, best embodies the character of Dom as we know him, as we love him? I have an idea. Joe, did you think of one for this movie or no? Yes, no, I I had, yes, I have one. I don't think maybe it's specifically a Dom moment, in quotation marks. Mm -hmm. Pretty much the entire scene like sequence of where they're running from the sun and like everything he's saying to Kira feels very Dom. I mean, it is very Dom to out literally outrun a sun, right? Not even like the actions that he's doing, just like the conversations that he's having. Like he's like, remember when you said, uh, you don't care if you live or die. Well, like maybe I do. And that like, that felt Dom. And then like, the just wait for it and like pumping is like pumping the brakes on his hand because like he's so cerebral that he knows that something is gonna happen that hasn't happened yet and his timing is so impeccable. Sure. And like all so like that that little piece felt very dumb to me. Yeah, that's fair. Nico, do you have a thing in mind? Is something in here? Shout out like whether you, whether subconsciously or consciously you were watching like that's a Dom Toretto thing. Oh yeah, I mean I think that there is a quality to you know most action heroes standard action star and the dom toretto is essentially the vin diesel and so there are kind of hallmarks of the vin diesel action hero and one of those things is specifically always being a little more cleverly prepared even when it comes to feats of strength Often it's like brains or brawn for a hero, but something that Dom Toretto offers that is even what makes him compelling is when you expect him to go dumb brawn, he pulls out a little bit of brains in a significant way and that he ultimately defeats the bad guy by standing and waiting in the right place is a really compellingly Dom Toretto moment. But I think the moment that is most significant for channeling uh, the the real heart of somebody is that moment where he channels pink at the Grammys and <laughs> does a little aerial performance on those chains yes. for me. Mm-hmm, oh, mm-hmm. Yes, listen up, yes, bald yes. daddy. That is, you know, that is exactly what I love to see. You know, this idea that, and I mean that all like, yes, funny, yes, you know, ha ha, he's sexy, but like, it's always really important to see the ways these male action heroes are willing to challenge masculinity and 
there's nothing particularly aggressively powerfully masculine about look at me hang from these ropes you know boy gymnasts are kind of yeah (laughs) yeah it's like boy gymnasts are kind of gay like not like you know everything's gay but like you know that's one of the gayer of the sports nobody's ever like (laughs) football so gay no one's ever like lacrosse so gay they're like oh that guy rides horses faggot you know but i mean like it's this (laughs) sort of same situation here they're like oh he knows how to dance on ropes. Hey, hey, then dance for me, daddy. Like, it's sort of that. And he does it so attractively that when he, I don't know how else to put it, unfurl spins. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. It's just really interesting the ways Vin Diesel is like, a real man knows how to be sensitive. And I'm like, I don't know that that's sensitive, but I like that you're trying. This is just many more iterations of dom being hung by his wrists and mm-hmm. like in this weird crucifix like crucifixion pose that he loves that like now has become a running theme for me like you we see it in every movie like between like the chains um and the you know the pink dancing as nico called it and between him being tied up in the ship again with his hands over his head i'm like it what is he into that he constantly wants to be just like hung from a ceiling like this? Because now it's, we see it all the time. Yeah. I liked the acrobatic scene. I'm glad that you brought that up. I also liked immediately following that where they're like, are you an inmate or a convict? And I'm like, where's this going to go? They're like, convicts have a code and show respect. And basically inmates are snitches. I was like, that's an injury. Like, I like that they're like the badass dudes like, it's better to be a convict because convicts have codes. And I'm like, there's there's something dom to like having a code, right? He's just like, I'm not going to yes, That's not my pick. My pick for the most dom moment was just at the end when the guy is trying to purify or extract his soul and he just like resists. I just felt like resist giving up his soul, like staying true to himself is kind of a dom thing. I do have a least dom moment though. Oh, what is Is it? when he's getting transported to that prison right before the acrobatic scene. He's saying in voiceover, why drive where you can get driven? I'm like, Dom Toretto would never get driven somewhere oh, by choice. Very, very true. Come on. Come on. And that was even maybe like in his notes. Like, yeah, that's how they're not the same character. Keep that in. <laughs> I can see that. This dude rides shotgun. Very cool. I also loved him very early on. The wild, shaggy-haired, snowy, shaggy-haired, bearded look. No. No, not like that. I was not Harry. No. I was not a fan of Harry Dom. I agree. I wish that we saw him shaving his head. We just got the like finished. Like he just put like puts the knife down as he's done. I'm just like, but I like I like because we've never really seen Finn with that much hair. I thought it was uh, a wild choice. Listen, as a guy who is sometimes a Harry Dom but usually keeps it trim, I was <laughs> not happy seeing what looked like Jason Momoa. Yes. But ready for yes. tundric action? This was not okay. It was like the ice trainer Pokemon trainer version of Jason Momoa pasted onto a model of Vin Diesel. And I just that is not that is not a Fortnite skin I need, thank you. Yeah, okay, fair. I liked it though. I'm not going to uh I'm not gonna get shamed into saying I didn't like it, but I liked it. No, and you should like what you like. You are welcome to like anything because it's you. you know it's aesthetic choices in a movie where a bunch of people who make millions of dollars all felt it was the right aesthetic choice. That doesn't make you, you know, that doesn't make anybody right or wrong. It's just definitely 
a look. Speaking of dirty and hairy and stuff like that, not Dirty Harry, uh, but I feel like a lot of these dudes, when they are dirty, kind of look like Vince. They kind of look like Matt Scholes from the first movie, from the first oh, Fast and Furious. Yeah. And it's like, is that Vince? No, yeah. it's not Vince. It's just like a dirty, muscly dude. It's just like, okay, that's, you know, it's a look. Probably the same guy, yeah. Joe, any other thoughts about either Dark Fury or the Chronicles of Riddick? What's your power ranking of the three? I know Riddick is number one. Oh, I, I think I would go Riddick, Dark Fury, uh, Pitch black. Pitch black for me. All right. Yeah. Absolute inverse for me, which is which is fair. Nico, what's your quick power ranking? I want to get Joe's final thoughts. Pitch black, Dark Fury, Riddick. Cool. Okay, so we're aligned there. But Joe, final thoughts about these? There's a point where he's like giving himself dialysis on the ship, but it also kind of looks like maybe he's using his blood as the fuel for the ship. Do we know what happened there? Nope. I don't. It like drains his blood and then like spins it back together and then like it goes somewhere, but we don't know. Okay, that was just very weird, not explained at all. Like for like having a backstory and stuff, we never see why that should happen. the The slow motion jump where he jumps to grab the chains hanging mm-hmm. from the ceiling mm-hmm. feels very you know take Letty out of the sky. And I wanted to add this possibly to the Vin Diesel I'm in an action movie set pieces. Uh, checklist that he has to slow motion jump onto something. There's a, I feel like there's a lot of slow motion in this movie of him jumping into things and shooting at things and dodging things and so on and so forth. Yeah, I think it's because true. he's so big. Like when you are a really giant dude, you sort of sacrifice speed a lot, which is a thing that he and The Rock both have in common. They are quick motherfuckers like they're always moving and they're always like flying these giant aggro crags of of guy (laughs) just hurtling toward you and i think by putting it in slow motion it's you know celine dion recorded the music video for my heart will go on at double speed and it slowed down it's what makes her look so graceful because she's actually moving twice as fast wow. and i think when you put somebody in slow-mo it really adds like majestic movement to them and their body shape and the way it like moves through the air becomes dramatic because it's a way that's counterintuitive to your expectation makes sense that totally yeah it, it could just be like a filter for his body mass like not in a bad way, just like, you know, he's so big that, like, he looks more graceful in slow motion. Nico, any other thoughts? Any other final things before we watch the trailer? No, I just don't think this was really a whole justifiable, like, film for a character. This was not a whole movie. This was the Riddick part of another multi-character film and all we got were the riddick parts and that's a shame all right let us watch the trailer the chronicles of riddick official trailer number one vin diesel movie 2004 hd posted by rotten tomatoes classic trailers 10 years ago january 2012 1.897 million views let me know you guys both have it open i'm ready whenever you are bud ready all right three two one play Okay. I'm curious. I mean, I guess this is probably going to be pretty straightforward. I would imagine so. It would be really, <laughs> it would be very cool if it was just like a real weird trailer. They are a plague. That, that ship was very phallic. Them. The three-headed one. Oh, yeah. 
leaving behind a trail. And that shot looked like Batman a lot to me. Short, sure. mm-hmm. With the cape. Monuments to their unholy crusade. Okay, so we get Judy Dench prominently in the trailer. Such an unsightly thing. They never stood here. We still haven't seen Vin's face. We saw his back where he's the Batman scene, but we've not seen his face. We're like, what is what is this movie? This is crazy, man. This film looks great. Unless they can be stopped. Is this Star Wars? That's what I mean, yeah. yeah. It's like very futuristic. Ooh, look at that. The introduction to Vane in the trailer is him doing the acrobatics. A minute in. That guy just sounded like Nico doing a Dom impression. Where does he come from? I hear it. There was a lot of Matrix influence in here. I'm glad that you guys brought up the Animatrix as the thing, because it there's lots of parts of this that felt very Matrixy. Get Riddick. Battle wise. He's beginning to understand. I think ultimately my issue with this movie is not the movie's fault, but just like this is not my genre. Like I don't love sci-fi in the way that I should. Like when when sci-fi works, it really works for me. But like I just don't think like the DMD thing, like the the campaign element, is just not what I would be into. So I sort of feel bad criticizing this, just like because it's not really the type of thing that I would seek out by choice. You know? Yeah. For me, it, it's similar. I just I'm not the one unstoppable guy in space. Right. That's not my genre, and the movie I just saw a trailer for wasn't one unstoppable guy in space. It was the world's in peril. Can we do something? Can this guy help? This was a movie that was one unstoppable guy in space. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's fair. That's a, I think this would have, I would have greatly enjoyed this also as a really long running shitty TV series. Like, it feels like it would have yeah. worked really well to be, like, you know, a low-budget, weekly, like, wh what's he, what's he gonna, like, every episode stops on a cliffhanger, and, like, can he get through this thing at the end, at the beginning of the next episode, and they, like, instantly fix it, and then, like, just lead you to the next one of doing those. I would have been like, oh, I could watch five seasons of that. I'd be really happy. Yeah. The Letterbox game. So for reference sake, Mad Max Fury Road, one of the most popular films on Letterboxd, has been seen by 1.2 million people. Okay? Yeah. The Chronicles of Riddick, 2004, directed by David Tuohy, starring Vin Diesel, Tom Dewey Newton, Carl Urban, and Alexa Davalos, has been seen by how many people? You want to go first, Nico, or you want me to go first, bud? 56,000. I have no idea. Okay. I'm going to go 185. Nico, relatively close, uh, but somewhere in between. Between 56 and 185. One more guess. 76,000 76, for me. Oh, yeah. I went way too high. I wasn't thinking. Oops. Yeah. I stand by it. Uh, 112. Joe said I guess went in the wrong very, direction. very, very close. 77728. So Nico's 56,000 stab in the dark. Pretty close. And then Joe got yeah, there in the second one. Yeah, good for a first guess. Damn. And Nico, for someone who doesn't play this game every two weeks or three weeks or whatever we do it, like, 
I was like, oh, wow, you're actually in the ballpark in a way that like I don't think I would never be. So congratulations. Thank you. Right. I appreciate it. Now, out of those 78,000 people, how many have it in their top four favorite films of all time on Letterboxd? Average rating of 2.8, most common of three, overwhelmingly of three, which is what I gave it, which is what Jason Rainey gave it. How many people have this in their top four favorite films of all time? 35. Okay. Nico? 124. Somewhere between the two of them. 53. 86. Somewhere between the two of them. One more guess. 71. 66. 66. On the dot, 66 people have this in Brilliant. their top four favorite films of all time. We're going to go to Jack Chapman at Johnny Coom, C-O-O-M. Okay. I don't this year, watching July first, five stars. That's why he's the goat. The goat. Chronicles of Riddick is Jack Chapman's number one favorite film of all time. Okay. Numbers two, three, and four are all from the two thousands, from the last 20, 22 years or whatever. Uh, Joe, one of these is a movie that you love. Um, that Brian had a spinoff podcast about. Brian had an entire spinoff podcast about. One of these movies. Twilight. Twilight is Jack Chapman's number three favorite film of all time. Perfect. Wow. Okay. Now, number four is a movie from this year. Feels like it came out forever ago. I would. I almost thought it was last year, but it came out this year and is the latest iteration of a movie one of you referenced in the last ten minutes. The Matrix. Nope. And I would say that someone, it, it makes a lot of sense that for someone who likes a movie like The Chronicles of Riddick, I think would make a lot of sense to like this movie as well. Also, given the twilight of it all, makes sense for this person to like this movie as well. The newest iteration of a thing that one of you just mentioned, movie came out this year. A movie, Joe, that I think that you really liked, that I loved, that I'm sure okay. Nico at least liked part of, but I don't know. Okay. I just don't know. This year, and it and it's like a continuation. Is it is it in a sequence or a reboot? I that's hard to say. It's I think it's a reboot. Like I'm 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 reasonably confident calling it a reboot, but also like the thing that is a part of it could be like, oh no, that's part of this too. It's just like all right, Halloween. Nope. We didn't mention that in the past 10 minutes. It's a movie no. that we just talked about. I don't remember mentioning any movie. Yeah, it was something so, that Joe said. It was something that Joe said. Batman? The Batman. Nice. Got it. Robert okay, Pattinson, cool. and you said he yep. looks like Batman. Yep, I, I gotcha. Yep, and yep, yep. Jack Chapman says, Robert Pattinson is literally me. And then in his next review in Thor Love and oh. Thunder, he said, not much to say. Christian Bale is literally me. So a lot of people are literally him. Number two, though is the sequel to a movie Joe, you and I covered during the Jason Statham lap, the Shaw Brothers lap. This is a movie that came out in the year 2000. It is a British film starring the aforementioned Jason Statham. Is it Lockstock? It is the sequel-ish to Lockstock. Snatch. Snatch, directed by Guy Ritchie. The Chronicles of Riddick, Snatch, Twilight, and The Batman. There was some guy who gave whose top four was the four Riddick things. I'm like, and all of his things were like, Vin Diesel's the best. I love him. I'm just like, I don't know if you're being serious or joking, but I respect it. So, cool. I looked on our website to see if um, 
we had covered snatch, which I didn't think we had, and nobody had. But the word snatch, context aside, whatever, uh, was written in, Nico, Holiday HTML Office Party Number 4, Rap Battle Part 3. <laughs> Will Eddie snatch victory from the haunting memories of a bullied childhood? You're welcome. Joe, do you know that there was this, was it, how many episodes did I watch, Nico? Was it like Six. 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 There was on a rapping, a, a gift wrapping, gift wrapping, com- gift wrapping yes, competition. We talked about this. Yep. I made TK watch it. That Nico, Kevo, and Jonah watched and loved, and I was just like, I hate everything about all of this. But I watched it all, and we recorded episodes about all of it. And I liked but recording episodes. You're a Christmaser. You love Christmas. Mm, I, mm. Do oh yeah, play it off now. You do you love. Give you me one Christmas. example of me loving Christmas. You have an entire channel of TV shows that are Christmas-themed that you play during Christmas. No, I had that, and I was like, this is a terrible idea. I made it. I didn't actually do anything with it. Oh, okay. That's vastly different than what I thought happened. Yeah. You've talked about like that you had it, you well, made the idea it, you were making like, I, it. I, I, I realized it with the racer trash thing, but I made it for that, and I'm just like, this is a bad idea. Okay. No, I don't. I don't love Christmas. I especially don't love like Christmas movies. Like the Christmas movies and things that I love are things that are not Christmas, like Die Hard, Kiss Kiss Long Bang kiss, Bang, Long Kiss Goodnight, stuff like that. Yes, yeah. Rap battle. I was just like, I, I thought mean, you were a super Christmas. No, not even oh, a little weird. bit. Okay, I learned something new about Joey today. Like I, I like pe- had pegged you for like Joey wants to live in winter. Oh my god, you time. pegged him. Yeah, speaking yes. of pegging, Nico, what do you want to plug? <laughs> so. You know, X is for podcast, the incredible thing that Joey has given me the good fortune to get to make way too many times a week is now way less times a week. And Sunday mornings, we're doing a two-hour video live stream on Facebook and YouTube covering a full month of titles each week. So like week one, we do all the X books. Week two, we do all of Marvel Magic. Week three, all of the Avengers books for the month uh, leading up to that. It's a whole lot of fun, and it's been going really exciting. And I hope everybody checks that out over at xsforpodcast.com. You don't want to miss it. Cool. Well, Nico, thank you so much for joining us. You'll be back here in three weeks as we close out the Riddick franchise. Can't even call it trilogy because we got Dark Fury in there. But two days after Christmas, you'll be back for Riddick 2013. But, Joe, between now and then, our next episode for the patrons, a bonus episode, The Wraith which we're not going to record till next week. So patrons, if you're getting that, keep an eye out for it next week sometime. Um, also, we're going to do a Life in the Fast Lane again with Too Fast, Too Furious, Minute 79. Ooh. And then Fast and Furious number six with Montez coming up very soon. But for all things Too Fast, Too Forever, go to cageclub.me, facebook.com slash Too Fast, Too Forever, or at Too Fast, Too Forever on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Email us, family at cageclub.me. Check out our Patreon page at TooFastTooForever.com. Shout out to, almost forgot, Cassie oh. Wilson, Ben Milliman, Nick Burris, Alex Ellen, and Justin Kleiman, Brian Rodriguez of High School Slumber Party, oh. Haley Gerbys, who is halfway through Real Bad, you just messaged me this morning, Wes Hampton, Jerry Robinson, Dan the Duke, Hayden, Renato DiDonato, Michael McGann, Lane Middleton, Lindsay Lewandowski, Nate Milton of the Kings of Sport, Jason Rainey, Tom Price, Mike Gallier, and Jessica Collins, a.k.a. Montez. Montez. Thank you all for supporting us the $5 a month level or above. Check out our store on TeePublic, which just had a sale. We'll have another sale soon, I'm sure. And come back next week for Life in the Fast Lane number four. 
I'm Joey Lewandowski. I'm Joe too. And that was Nico Basillo of Access for Podcast, HTML, everything you want to know, Kid Riot, all sorts of things, N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N, and we'll tell you all about it when we see you again.